you are Locked On A's, your daily Oakland A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How's it going, A's fans, and welcome to episode 140 of the Locked On A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, excited, I don't know, no longer anxious baseball fan, Jason Burke, and on today's show, the A's are heading to the ALDS to face Houston in Los Angeles, so that's a weird sentence that I didn't, that 2020, everybody, and I'm going to talk about that series on Monday and uh, get you guys all primed up for game one on Monday, but today I want to talk about yesterday's game and just some of the relief that washed over me as that final pitch was called a strike. So that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about yesterday's game. Uh, At the end, I will give my rotation predictions because there will not be a podcast up until Monday. So they'll probably have those all announced by then. So I'll give you guys my prediction for that at the end of the show. So stick around for that. But uh, before I get started here, please follow us on social media at LockedOnAs on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at ByJasonB on Twitter. And if you have any questions for us, like, hey, who might be in the rotation? Although I'll answer that one. But, you know, similar type questions. You can email those to us at lockedonathletics at gmail.com. So let's talk about it. Man, that was a game right there. Uh, After I asked everyone, uh, if you didn't watch the game, uh, the A's won the game uh, six to four. The A's are the champions of the wild card round along with three other teams. So uh, yeah, they they won a series. That was so much fun. A's Twitter was going crazy. Um, It was a lot of fun. And I had to pose the question, who was the MVP of the series? And obviously, uh, there there was one person that said Tim Anderson. But I mean, if we're picking an A's player, then, you know, maybe this person. Uh, And Tim Anderson definitely would have deserved the credit uh, based on stats alone. It felt like he hit over a thousand, which not possible, but it felt like he did. He hit a mere 643. What a series that guy had. Jesus Christ. I, I never want to see him in the playoffs again, ever. That'd be fine. Just avoid the White Sox at all costs, unless it's like in the CS or something like that. But uh, yeah, what a beast that guy was. And Luis Roberts started uh, showing up and hitting almost 500-foot dangers. Damn, that team is good. The A's just beat a really good team. Uh, I know that they were seventh seed, but that's just because their division was tough. Uh, they ended up having, I think, the sixth best offense in baseball. The A's just took down a very good offensive team. So if they, I'm not looking past the Astros. I'm just saying, if they happen to face a team like the Yankees, does this give them confidence to be like, hey, we can go after them now? I think it couldn't hurt, that's for sure. But uh, getting back to the original question, which was, who was the MVP of this series for the A's? I got a bunch of responses. There was a lot of, uh, you know, Chris Bassett's. There's some Mark Canna's in there because of his play uh, against the wall, the Joe Rudy play, if you will, uh, on Wednesday's game. Um, Sean Murphy got some votes because of his big home run that ignited the offense. Uh, JB Wendelkin, because he pitched one inning on Thursday. He did two and two thirds innings on Tuesday. He shut down the White Sox, saved the bullpen a little bit on Tuesday. Good on him. Uh, Chad Pinder was a fun one. Uh, Actually, the tweet said, Pinder or the whole ass bullpen, which uh, was one of my favorite responses because I like it when things are whole ass. And uh, yeah, good job on uh, Chad Pinder and the whole ass bullpen. Um, Marcus Simeon got a couple of votes. Uh, Jake Diekman had some mentions in there. And then there was, you know, 
one of my other favorites, my heart for making it through that game. And yes, definitely, uh, all of our hearts need a round of applause. I don't know uh, how you what you do for hearts. Maybe give them a banana. Uh, everybody get a banana and serve your heart well. Is that good for your hearts? I, I'm so bad at health. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about Bill Bars later. <laughs> After that is when we're having a loose show today, guys. I'm sorry. Um, anyways. What I really wanted to talk about about from this game is yesterday I, I talked not crap about Bob Melvin. I questioned his tactic in using Liam Hendricks in the ninth inning. I said that facing the heart of the lineup, you know, the big bats in the eighth, that's the right call. Uh, he got hit around a little bit. He gave up the home run to Yasmani Grandal on Wednesday. And then uh, he, he threw him out there again for the ninth inning. And I was like, well, did that hurt him a little bit? Uh, I, I, that was the first segment. And the second segment, I retracted some of that. I was like, Bob Melvin knows his guys better than I do. And some pitchers react better when they're a little bit more tired. I know that Liam Hendricks is one of those guys that likes to go three days in a row. So maybe this is playing into their hands a little bit. Uh, I was a little bit worried that the White Sox, after having seen him and done what doing well against him, may be more apt to take advantage of him. And uh, they didn't do that. So Bob Melvin... Uh, I, I'm going to give you some kudos today. It, and it's not just because of, I'm, I'm not retracting what I said. I, I still think that it was a questionable call, but Bob Melvin made a great decision in the third inning that I feel like really impacted the game. And uh, I feel like he managed circles around Rick Renteria on Thursday. But before I get into that decision, I just want to talk a little bit about Liam Hendricks and how he performed in the ninth inning because he was fantastic. I know that he allowed the first runner to get on on a, uh, on a single. Uh, that was James McCann. But uh, Hendricks then struck out Johan Mancata and Luis Robert, who had both been heating up on Thursday. They uh, Robert, again, hit a 500-foot home run almost, and Mancata got his first hit. It, uh, I mean, he, he'd been hitting the ball pretty well. And to strike both those guys out, the big outs, obviously. And then he got Nomar Mazzara looking. And this Nomar Mazzara, you're like, yeah, Nomar Mazzara, whatever. But before the inning started, I was looking up some stats against, you know, how the White Sox had fared against Liam Hendricks. And uh, they weren't promising, especially Mazzara. And I didn't want to share them because I didn't want to put bad, you know, uh, energy out into this game. I legitimately stood up for a second in between a pitch and then I sat back down because I'm like, no, I have to stay in my chair the entire game because they've been doing well while I've been sitting here. I'm not moving. This is great. So uh, I, I didn't want to put these stats out into the world. But now that the game's over, here they are. Nomar Mazzara was five for eight in his career with a double and two walks against Liam Hendricks. That is a 621 batting average and a 700 on base percentage. So even in a small sample, that is some pretty decent ownership. And Hendricks rose to the challenge. I'm sure that he knew those stats. And he was like, hey, here you go. I got you. And he was celebrating before the pitch was called a strike, which I thought was really funny. Um, so good job on Liam Hendricks. Fantastic. He went putting in the nude afterwards in the clubhouse, so good for him. Uh, didn't look for a video or, you know, a story on that. I just saw the tweet, and I was like, huh, that's weird. And then I went about my day. So that happened. But I, I'm going to focus on Bob Melvin here. I'm going to get into some of those decisions real quick. I thought that the way that he worked the bullpen yesterday was nearly to perfection. My only quibble, and this is probably because of availability and stuff like that, but my only quibble would have to be Wendelkin in there for the for one more inning instead of Trevino, having having Wendelkin pitch the seventh inning instead of Trevino. That would be my only quibble. Um, I assume that Wendelkin 
was not available for another inning, another multiple inning relief appearance uh, in this series on you know such short rest after he had just uh, you know thrown a bunch of pitches on Tuesday. So uh, that's my only quibble, and otherwise, I mean, it worked out. So I'm not very mad at that. Uh, he had his main guy set up for late in the game. He deployed Montas to start an inning, which is the way you want to do it when you're putting in a starting pitcher in relief. I know that Montas had pitched in relief before, but he hasn't in a while, and he's a different pitcher now. So uh, I thought that that was important. He also used Petit to get the last out of an inning, which is how he's been using him all year. He was effective in that spot, and then he got another inning out of him. Uh, you could have seen him go to Montas right there and just – basically waste petite but you don't want to bring in montas in the middle of an inning he didn't do that and then he got a little bit more length out of petite and i know that he gave up a run but you know hey it ended up okay everything's fine uh but what he got from montas i thought that two innings that's probably what you're gonna get out of him that's fine and now he's starting to build that confidence i am very excited to see him pitch against the houston astros uh he is in my rotation spoiler alert but he got Montas in there in a big situation, got some length out of him, saved some of the other bullpen arms so that he didn't have to tax some of his other guys a little bit more, like having Soria pitch two innings for some reason or something like that. So Montas being available and used in the right situation was big. Uh, I think it probably won the game for him because the White Sox were still threatening. They still had a lead at that point, but when he was in the in the game. So uh, good job on everybody involved up to that point. On the flip side, the writing kind of seemed on the wall. Uh, for Chicago, when they had used their some of their reliable guys by the fifth inning, they, they had a couple of guys that they actually relied upon going into the final four frames, potentially. White Sox manager Rick Renteria was very aggressive with his bullpen usage on Thursday, and kudos to that. That's how you have to manage that game, but he, I think he was a little reckless with it as well. He was throwing guys in there after like two-thirds of an inning. He wasn't getting any length out of anybody. And uh, he only has so many pitchers that, you know, are quote unquote reliable guys. And if you keep throwing, if you throw everybody out there, somebody's going to have a bad day and then you got to rely on the next guy up. And, you know, uh, I'll get into it here with Carlos Rodon and uh, Matt Foster. Those two guys didn't have it. And uh, all of a sudden you're you're losing the game. (laughs) And I know that Garrett Crochet going down to injury was not in, in the plan for Rick Renteria at all. But he kept being aggressive with his bullpen even after that injury. And it just felt like if the game went into extras, the A's had some arms. I mean, granted, they might throw a lefty out there or something like that. But they had the arms to get them through a few innings if needed. And uh, if you got if you got the White Sox offense going against a left-handed pitcher and then the A's offense going against a position player, who do you think is going to win that battle? Uh, so that's kind of where it was heading. And it, it looked like by about the third or fourth inning that it was heading that way because... Rick Renterio was not getting any length out of any of his pitchers. So, I mean, kudos to Bob Melvin, who kind of forced that hand in the third inning. That's the move that I was talking about. You may remember that Bob Melvin actually had Jake Lamb starting the game, and then in the third inning, Chad Pender pinch hit for him so he could get, you know, a, a righty-lefty matchup the other way. And uh, that worked out for him, I think. Um, Pender singled, he loaded the bases, and beyond that, Renteria countered that with a bullpen move. So uh, he, he got a pitching change. He used another one of Rick Renteria's reliable bullpen pieces by getting Aaron Bummer out of the game. And then instead, uh, Rick Renteria went with Cody Cody Hoyer, who a uh, rookie pitcher. And uh, you know, Hoyer got out of the inning. He faced Mark Canna, got him to pop up. Uh, Matt Olson struck out. So, you know, uh, it worked out in the short term 
for that one. But Bob Melvin's one move right there had a bunch of layers. And getting Aaron Bummer, one of the veteran relievers that you could count on, you would think, uh, out of the game just to get a better matchup in the third inning. Solid move by Bob Melvin on that one. And one of the other layers right there is by taking out one of your veteran guys, you're almost ensuring that some of the guys that Rick Renteria did not want to use in the game, like Carlos Rodon, would make it into the game and open up another opportunity later in the game, even if this one didn't work out for you in having Matt Olson face a right-handed pitcher, which it didn't. But then, you know, in the next inning, it did. So there was some layers that Bob Melvin was working with, and uh, he was playing three-dimensional chess, and I don't know what Rick Renteria was playing, but, you know, uh, apparently he'd been scarred by a WBC game where he didn't go to his bullpen quickly enough, and he was like, hey, how about I use everybody really quickly? That's how I counter this. Uh, I didn't read that article, saw the headline, and that's my assumption on what happened. But anyways, I want to talk about Carlos Rodon for just one second here. Uh, he came into the game, and he went walk, double, intentional walk, to uh, Chad Pinder, again, showing up, Chad Pinder, uh, just so that they could get Carlos Rodon out of the game. He just wasted a bullet right there. He's like, yeah, Carlos Rodon. Obviously, he wasn't somebody that they wanted to have in the game, but Carlos Rodon, they're like, hey, how about you load the bases real quick, and then we'll bring in this other rookie, Matt Foster. This should be fun. Matt Foster walked the next two guys because he's a rookie, and the bases were loaded when he came in. So... Bob Melvin, I think, kind of set that one up a little bit by limiting the options that Rick Renteria had at his disposal in the fourth inning. He didn't have enough deployable arms in the fourth inning because he'd been too aggressive. And I think that Bob Melvin kind of forced his hand on that one, and I'm giving him absolute credit for that. Uh, great job by Bob Melvin. I usually don't pay attention to things that managers do, but this is something that caught my eye, and there just seemed to be so many layers. Great job by Bob Melvin on this one. Great win by the entire team. This was a big team win, and that is something that I think should scare the opponents. Uh, if you're looking for an MVP for the, for this series, it was the whole freaking team. That's why people are scared of this team right now, because everybody's awake. Everybody's playing right now. Chris Davis went deep earlier this week. Uh, he, he hit another ball so hard that it hit the wall, and he got a single. He's not necessarily a slow guy. He's not Miguel Cabrera out there. He hit it too hard, you guys. So... This team is waking up offensively. They're, they can pitch. They got depth. Uh, can they shut you out? I don't know. We will see in Houston or against Houston, but they can pitch enough. They can hit enough. I think that they're, uh, they're primed and ready. I, we'll see how they do. But coming up real quick, I'm going to be talking about what this first round series meant to me and probably many A's fans. Uh, I know that it's silly to be super excited about a wild card series win because these series didn't even exist last year and they might not next year but uh just what the a's winning a series in the playoffs means and uh then i'll then i'll talk about the a's rotation potentially going into next week so uh stay locked in with locked on a's i'll be right back the improved built bar is even more deliciouser they have 18 amazing flavors including nut and non-nut flavors they have six new flavors including caramel brownie cookies and cream cherry barcia lemon almond cheesecake carrot cake and apple almond crisp they also got their original 12 flavors right now i'm looking at the top of the list that they sent me and that is coconut almond uh i do love some coconut i like some almond uh, actually you know what Underrated candy, Almond Joys. Those are delicious. I would find those in Halloween candy 
all about those. You know what these taste like? These uh, these belt bars, the coconut almond ones, they taste like almond joys. If you like almond joys, you're going to like these. So uh, find out how you can get those here in just one second. But uh, yeah, these are delicious bars. I thoroughly enjoy them. They're 100% covered in chocolate. They are soft and easy to chew. They are protein bars that taste like candy bars, which is nice and fun. Put them in the fridge. Do, do me a favor. Do yourself a favor. Put them in the refrigerator. They taste even better like that. Oh, man, they're so nice. And with Halloween around the corner, you're like, ooh, Almond Joys, that sounds really good. But you know what? These Belt Bars, they're for the health-conscious person. They're like Almond Joys that are good for you. Belt Bar. This is what we're talking about right here. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. All of their bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and great for the keto diet. Oh, man. You know, you know how you can get some of these? You go to BeltBar.com, and then you, you pick out which box you want. You go to the checkout, you enter code LOCKEDON. That is one word, LOCKEDON. You get $10 off your first box at BeltBar.com. So all you got to do, go to BeltBar.com, enter code LOCKEDON, one word, LOCKEDON. You get $10 off your first box of Almond Joy Belt Bars from BeltBar.com. Welcome back to the Locked On A's podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you like. I, it, where podcasts are, you know where those are. I, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever. Uh, also, if you're already subscribed to the podcast, please leave us a rating and a review. Let other people know that uh, the podcast exists because it's playoff time, everybody. And uh, so far, other than, you know, uh, Liam Hendricks maybe being too tired, I've been pretty spot on with my takes for that first round series. So this is where you want to come for some information. I think, personally. Uh, I don't like talking myself up, so that's as far as I go. Anyways, you can also follow us on social media at LockedOnAids on Twitter and Instagram. I am at ByJasonB on Twitter. And you can email us any questions that you have to LockedOnAthletics at gmail.com. So, yesterday's win. That was not an easy win, but when that final out was called, I didn't, like, jump up and down or anything, um, or start screaming or you know, clapping or doing the things that I would usually do if I was there in the ballpark um, or generally, uh, because usually the A's don't win these games. And I just kind of sat there and I was just happy. I was content. It was nice. Um, it, I know that the, the monkeys hasn't been on my back, but, you know, as a fan, kind of a little bit, um, being an A's fan isn't always easy. You know, uh, I know that there are teams that don't make the playoffs, like the, the Mariners haven't made it in almost two decades. The the Twins, oh, the poor Twins, they haven't won a playoff game in their last 18 tries, and that is heartbreaking. I, I legitimately feel bad for Twins fans that uh, they're like, hey, we made it again, and then, ah, crap, we can't even score. We're throwing the ball around the diamond, um, and I, I, I feel that pain. I really do, um, but that's why this... This win on Thursday kind of meant a lot to me and probably a lot of you guys. I don't really watch other sports. I, I, I mean, I partake and I know things that are going on, but like I know who's in the NBA Finals. I'm not watching it, but uh, you know, I know that it's the Heat and the Lakers. Go one of those teams. I don't care. Um, but baseball is the sport that I watch. I pour a lot of energy into this sport, and you know, the A's. They're my team. They're the team that I root for. I will casually watch other sports sometimes, but uh, you know, baseball is the one. And so this one. It, it feels different, I think. Um, and so that's kind of cool. And I think that this win kind of just gives us a chance to believe that every year could be our year, potentially, because this monkey is off our back. And it's also a chance to change that narrative about the A's choking in the playoffs every year. Um, after game one, I saw a guy renounce his A's fandom on Twitter. And I thought that was kind of funny in retrospect, because... 
they, they won this one. <laughs> that was fun. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I get it. I get why you'd be frustrated with this team. And seeing it year after year, it's the same thing. Uh, everybody points to 2006. I'm like, yeah, that's 14 years. But that was one series. And then they got swept in the next round. They also lost some heartbreaking ones at the beginning of the millennium. So, yeah, it's been a while since they've we, we've had a team to really legitimately be like, hey, th these guys are going somewhere. Um, 2014 was until the end of the season, and they traded Cespedes. Um, but anyways, but seeing this team struggle in the playoffs just, just kind of become routine. You're, you're just used to it. You see them excel in the regular season and then fall apart down the stretch and end of the playoffs, and then they're out. And uh, this year, they seem to actually play better in the playoffs. Their bats kind of came alive. They were coming up in big spots. Uh, the pitching and you know, the starting pitching and the bullpen other than Bassett and JB Wendelkin wasn't like shut down or anything like that, but they got the job done and that's all you need in the playoffs. You, you can give up 10 runs. If you score 11, it doesn't matter. It's a day-to-day -day game. And, uh, that gives me some hope because these, this team has depth and I've been saying that, uh, leading into the playoffs, I think that this team is built for a five and a seven game series, especially when you're playing every single day. And I know that I mentioned it on uh, yesterday's podcast, but the A's kind of got not gifted the win. They they got a little bit lucky in game two with Nick Madrigal not advancing on his stolen base hit and run, whatever that was, and also booting the ball that led to two runs for the A's. That kind of turned the tide for the A's. That got them out to an early lead, kind of changed some of the narrative early, got that monkey a little bit off their back, got them a lead. Um, but game three, they earned that win. They grinded those at-bats. They made the pitchers work. They made Rick Renteria. They, they forced his hand. They made him make those pitching to changes. Um, and he was a little bit quick. Maybe they knew about his WBC appearance before, and they're like, hey, he's probably scarred from that. Maybe we should, uh, we should do some things to his pitchers, and then he's going to just keep bringing guys in, and then he'll run out of pitchers. Uh, I doubt that that happened, but it'd be fun. It's fun to think about. <laughs> Let's just say that. Um, but the A's earned this win. And that's what's inspiring about them moving forward in the playoffs. And Bob Melvin also earned this win. Everybody in uniform earned this win. And uh, that, that's something that I'm not used to seeing. I mean, maybe I'm just on a euphoric high all these hours later still. Um, but I, I really do think that the A's have a good shot against Houston. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful again with this team in the playoffs, which is strange and weird. But, you know, I'm here for it. Um, this is what these two wins did this week. It, it changed my perception of them in the playoffs in general because you always get excited about the playoffs. And I know that, you know, people have been like, you're so optimistic. And I'm like, I am. A, I do believe these things. But there, there's like a different level of belief with seeing it actually done now where you're like, oh, OK, this is this is something this this could be a thing now. OK, so it, it's just it, it hits differently with these two wins. And uh, that, that's what made me sit there content and happy made me think that the A's could legitimately be the team at the end of this whole this whole October thing, this whole weird season, holding that uh, that hunk of metal over their heads and uh, being the champions of the world. Um, I know that that's a few rounds in the future, but it's something that you're like, hey, that belief is there. It's like being a Yankees fan, only not being a jerk about it, you know? <laughs> um, so maybe they'll finally get some acclaim like the other teams do. That's that's the hope. Uh, if they get some wins and people can stop talking about, you know, how they suck in the playoffs and blah, 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 blah. Uh, that, that's, it's something that, you know, uh, aggravates me, honestly, because the A's do so much with so little and uh, can, 
I, I mean, I know that the broadcasters broadcast these games and they have to do their, their homework and stuff like that, but do you think that they knew who Chad Pender and J.B. Wendelkin were before the series, the series started? Probably not. Uh, maybe uh, Flem did because he does the giant stuff, but Jessica Mendoza, she doesn't give a crap about the A's. They were talking about the White Sox the entire series. And then finally, the A's make it to the next round and they cut straight to the next game. I know that there are other games going on, but it would have been nice if they were like, hey, we talked about the White Sox for three full games. Let's watch this celebration for a minute. Uh, that did not happen. So uh, that that's something that, you know, for some reason just makes me mad. But before I start just rambling and all that stuff, the next step in the A's journey starts on Monday in Los Angeles against Houston. Again, weird sentence, but uh, it, it is what it is. So I do like that they're going to Los Angeles instead of San Diego because it's a neutral park, more or less. Uh, it plays equally well to both hitters and pitchers, so that's a plus. Whereas uh, the Petco Park plays better to right-handed batters, and the A's don't have as many power right-handed bats. I know Sean Murphy can hit the absolute bejesus out of a ball, but he's only one man. Um, but he, here's my rotation before I go rambling any further. Um, I I think that I would go Chris Bassett number one. I know that he's already pitched, and that, but he looked really good, and... The only consideration would be Sean Manaya there just because he didn't pitch in uh, the wild card series. So you get him into the flow of things a little bit quicker. Um, I like that idea, but also Chris Bassett has been the A's most consistent starter. It's a five game series. You want to take game one if you can. You got to set the tone and having Chris Bassett go game one sets that tone. And then I'd follow him up with Sean Manaya. Have Jonah. And again, as I said uh, before, I think the part of my Chris Bassett uh, calculus right there is. I want Sean Murphy in that lineup in game one. Um, it, I could go with either pitcher, but I want Sean Murphy in the lineup, which means Chris Bass is the starting pitcher right there. Uh, Sean Manaya instead is going to probably get Jonah Hyam, and that's fine. Um, so that's game two for me. And then you got Frankie Montas game three. All of a sudden, I'm really liking this rotation a lot. And then game four, you got Luzardo if needed, because uh, they could sweep it too. And then in a potential game five, I'm going Mike Miner and the bullpen. Um no offense to Mike Fires, he did nothing that I did not think might be possible in Game 3 on Thursday. Um, I, I think that he's a good pitcher. I would like to see him in the rotation moving forward, but I am avoiding putting Mike Fires on a mound against the Houston Astros at all costs, as long as he's wearing an A's uniform. That is not something, especially because he's not going to be pitching Games 1 or 2 or anything like that. Um, you don't want to get the Astros offense excited. You don't want to be like, hey, we're, we're getting back at you guys. We've been dealing with all this uh, this pent-up aggression from people for so long, like this entire season. And, uh, you know, Carlos Correa definitely hasn't forgot about it. So uh, do you really want to have Mike Fires go out there and ignite an offense? I don't think so. So you hide him in a bunker. I don't care where you put him. Just make sure he's not on the mound. Uh, may, get him a suite. Get him a nice suite for him and his wife. Is he married? I don't know. Uh, get him a nice suite. Maybe get him some ice cream. Does he like ice cream? I don't know. Take care of Mike Fires. Just don't let him set foot on the mound in Dodger Stadium. That's all that I'm asking. Um, that That's my rotation is not Mike Fires, everybody else, uh, and then the best ones first. It's not that hard. That's my calculus right there. It's, it's really that easy. Um, yeah, and also, uh, Shamanai and Jesus Roto should be pretty good against the Astros. They've not been great against left-handed pitchers this year, so that's a plus. That's something that, uh, that's why I was rooting for them 
to be the A's opponent in the first round in the first place is because the A's could use all of their pitchers and there's not crazy splits one way or another. It's kind of, you know, they're the, they're the same team basically against both sides, which uh, is good and bad for them uh, because, you know, they're a balanced team, but also the A's can throw whoever they want. The A's kind of had to manage a little bit with when they would use Deekman and when they, they, they didn't use Manaya, they started Luzardo and then basically we're not throwing any more lefties the rest of the series, uh, except for Deekman, who, solid series, Jake Deekman, good job. All right, but I'm running way longer than usual, so I'm going to get out of here. Uh, enjoy the weekend, everybody. Get some rest, because next week is going to be another stressful one. Hopefully not too stressful, but uh, it's going to be stressful, because playoff baseball, yay, this is, we, we get to get used to this, maybe. We'll see. Um, so until Monday, stay indoors, celebrate good times, Oakland, keep wearing those masks, and I'll talk to you guys soon.